Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Chuck, Thank you, Bob. Stop dying. I forgot what I wasn't supposed to do. Don't die. Oh, okay. It was the message of this podcast, or at least that was the original meaning. I think now it's just about old time rock and roll. Oh, um, but, but yeah, <laughs> what used to be new rock and roll, and now it's old, and some stuff that used to be old that's classic. Yeah, you know, you know, you're old when you mention Kurt Cobain and you see a blank look on some young person's face, not familiar, not familiar with. Oh. Do you know uh, Pop Smoke? Oh, yeah, I know Pop Smoke. Got <laughs> murdered last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, those we, things change. We, you know what it is? Old rock is like uh, singers that kill themselves. New rock is singers that get murdered. There you go. And oh. that's what the whole theme is. Don't die, people. Pop Smoke, yeah. what are you doing? Extension, what are you doing, little peep? What are you doing? Maybe we should change it to Don't Get Murdered. <laughs> I think that already is a podcast. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, there's a lot of murder podcasts. But what I wanted to say in the intro that we always miss why we're here and what the point is, is like Evan Haynes and Jared Valentine are the two guys that I met 10 years ago who I don't know if I've told the story, but it is pretty funny. They had a sober living and they were and I had clients that were court ordered because I because when the big you know all the fancy rehabs opened up i wanted nothing to do with it so i went into the court system and worked as a court liaison it's called is that french chuck court liaison i'm gonna go with yes i had so many great things and i was on television and so being on television as a counselor and then being a court liaison it worked magically chuck i made more money than i ever made running a hospital can i tell you that that's fantastic And all I was doing was supervising people getting out of jail. And I rose to such a stature, Chuck, that I could walk into the Clark County uh, jail in Las Vegas. And they would just, even if the paperwork wasn't right, they'd say, oh, you're here to get so-and-so. Yeah, you can take them. And they just, and from, from, I went from a person that was in jail 19 times to a person that could walk into a jail and, hey, Bob's here. You know, I got my client. Can you get and release them to me? (laughs) <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever. Yeah, can you go get, I, I forget his name. Well, first name's Greg. Can you get him? I don't know his last name. I'm going to pick him up. <laughs> now. And, I, and, I, and I was going to LA County Twin Towers and getting people released to me. So I was working in the courts and I was on a celebrity rehab TV show, right? And so, so I, you know, a, a lot of times, especially in Nevada, they just wanted you to get the drug addicts the fuck out of Nevada. You know, like some states don't allow travel, but Nevada is like, you're going to take him to LA. Great. You can pick him up right away. Can you be down <laughs> here in 15 minutes? Get him the fuck out of Nevada. So I, so I had a lot of clients, like on average, like six or eight a month that I was, I had in either treatment or sober living. And so that's how I met Evan and Jared is they had a sober living called Acadia Malibu. Not the, um, not the most generic name, but pretty close. So Acadia Malibu was a sober living. And I liked them a lot. And, and, and I didn't care about kickbacks and they didn't give kickbacks and I was fine with that. But I did like that they adjusted. Like if I had a client who's family didn't have a lot of money, I'd say, you know, they can only afford like three grand. And they would say, oh, you know, no problem. And then sometimes they get a 10 grand, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. And this is for sober living, Chuck. That's a lot. 2009, say. Um, mm. And so one day we were at a smoothie shop and they were sitting there and they said, we're thinking of starting a rehab. And I wanted nothing to do with rehab. And everybody knew I kind of wanted nothing to do with rehab. Because Khalil, a friend of mine, had wanted me to start a rehab in Malibu with him. And I love him. And I was like, I ain't starting no fucking rehab. And so, they, but these guys were so nice, Evan and Jared. And they said, we're thinking of starting a rehab. And I said, oh, good for you. Good for you. 
Um, yeah, and in my you. in my mind, I'm thinking <laughs> I got to find a new sober living. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is this is bad because my clients like being in Malibu. Um, so they said, but we don't know much about rehab. And I said, well, that doesn't stop other people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why let that get in the way? <laughs> why let that get in the way of a, of a dream? Put some and fire extinguishers says, on the wall, some mirrors in the said, toilet, and, they, and do it. And they said, like, we want to do it with you. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do a rehab. And they were like, well, <laughs> you're the only person that we would do it with. And so I thought about it, and they were so nice and whatever. And so I said, okay. You know, a couple of weeks later, I said, okay, let's do it. And surprisingly, it wasn't that hard. This is in 2011, I think, 2010. Was it 2011, 2012, maybe 2011? It wasn't that hard. I thought it was, would be way harder. Right. Hmm. And so we opened Acadia Malibu, which then slowly, quickly had to change its name because there was an Acadia Healthcare. And so we changed it to Aloe, and then now we're changing it to Oro because there doesn't seem to be a name in the universe that is not copywritten by some health and wellness brand. Oh, yeah, I would think. <laughs> so, so Oro, like the Spanish for gold? Gold, yeah. It's because... Gold standard. Elvis, you better watch out. The cat's in here. Okay, bring, get, that, get that thing and take him out if you can. This cat is dominant. We have a newborn baby. It's not as much trouble as this fucking cat. Can I tell you? How is this a cat, cat a problem? You just put them out and they run from the bears. You. It attacks you. For, oh, it's a kitten. It can't go outside. Elvis, please take it out or get Sid to take it. So the kitten um, just attacks from out of nowhere. Like you'll be sitting on the couch at 12 o'clock at night watching Perry Mason. It'll just run and jump on my head and start, you know, clawing my hair. <laughs> So then you put it in the laundry room and it just whines and meows all night long. You can hear it howling. It's just like it's worse than the baby. Like there's, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> and we got the kitten because we got the baby. It was like a simultaneous decision, according to Bob. The fantastic Bob parenting theory was, well, Sid's going to feel left out. If we get her a kitten, then she'll have, you know, she'll have something to occupy herself. So a couple of weeks into I just the baby being home, I said, Sid, do you, you know, I was cuddling with her and we were watching TV and I said, Sid, you know that you're still the most important person and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me like, yeah, I know that. Like having the <laughs> baby, she has such a strong <laughs> sense of self. The baby didn't even register with her. It's like, I rule this house. This is my <laughs> fucking house. Yeah, that there's baby's a baby here, here but. Who gives because I allow it. Because I. <laughs> <laughs> if so I didn't want the kid, kid here, the kid would be gone. So let's talk about that. So, kids are just so different and raised by the same people. So Elvis is really sensitive to everything. Always has been. Right. And Sid could give a fuck about anything. Sid in her preschool. Uh, oh, I got to talk about that, too. We got a licensed preschool now, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So the license was submitted and accepted yesterday. So um, at preschool, they, there was a writer came that, that is a local like children's book author. She has like four books and she read her new book. And the, the lady asked the kids if, if they ever wanted to write a book. And Sid raised her hand and said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And, uh, and the, <laughs> the, apparently the, the author said, what would you write a book about? And she said, my dad and I went to a Dodger game and we snuck in. That's a good story. I'm writing a book about the <laughs> she's four years old, dude. It's like living with Winston Churchill or something. She is a <laughs> profound person. She knew exactly what she was. She knew she was going to write a book and she knew exactly what she was going to write a book about at four years old. So, but, um, but so we started, we started the rehab and it was really fun. And what was fun about it is Evan and Jared weren't corrupted by having worked in rehab. They, you know what I mean? Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. They're ready and they to go. Did what, and I, you know, I kind of do things according to Hoyle or according to ASAM or whatever. And so they got indoctrinated into what rehab is the right way between me and, and this, uh, this, psychologist, this therapist that was the clinical director and 
and this girl, Jessica, who had a solid foundation and 12 steps in treatment. The three of us were like running a rehab and Evan and Jared were just learning like, what is rehab? Okay. It goes this way. Okay. You have to do this. You have to do that. And um, so, so they had no, no point of reference of body brokering and corruption and fraud and all the fucking shit that everyone has, right? Everyone that you've worked for, Chuck, knows. Absolutely. Right. And so that's why I do believe that the core of aloe soon to be Oro is, um, is doing things the right way. Cause, and I just learned it from buddy Arnold and Dr. Drew and lost and seen hospital, the way things had always been Dr. Murphy at Exodus, like the way things are supposed to be. And then, you know, kind of unbeknownst to me, like not knowing that I was creating this kind of place where things would be done the right way. Um, it, it's done the right way. Right. And ironically, something Dr. Drew says, something Dr. Murphy that ran Exodus, the greatest rehab that ever lived. I believe Mike Mart was at Exodus before, um, maybe not as a client, but as a visiting guest. Remember mm-hmm. Exodus and Daniel Freeman Hospital and Marine Del Rey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Greatest sh- rehab ever. Um, Chuck, you would literally go there and you would be roommates with your idol from rock and roll. It was crazy how many rock musicians were in there. I was in there one time. It was like half of modern rock and half of classic rock. And there was like two people in a 20-bed rehab. I watched <laughs> one of the icons of music um, be walked to the psych ward. Because <laughs> he had uh, threatened a staff member or something. <laughs> there we go. Right? And so Exodus was the greatest. And Dr. Murphy became a mentor of mine later on. He used to say, if you do rehab right, you don't make any money, right? If you do it right, you don't make any money. And that's kind of the Los Encinas model, the Dr. Drew model. model. You just, if you do it right, it's so costly. And, and it's not patient accommodating. So you're constantly, people are leaving because you won't give them their phone or give them their special, special, special privileges. Right. So if you do rehab, right, you don't make any money. And so, so that's what I was trying to do at Acadia when we first started, right? Which is, no, you don't get your phone. You know, can't you take three weeks out of your life without your phone? Like we had no phone policy for like three years. Like imagine that in Malibu. Absolutely no phone the whole time. Absolutely no phone. That's and what I like about PRC. That was my favorite thing about PRC. And yeah, now, now you can have your phone, you can have a computer, you can, you can do anything. Well, but and, but and that's Bob, how treatment has changed. Now, the difference was in Los Encinas, Exodus, Betty Ford, Hazelden, you would not make any money, but you could make a living doing things the right way. Now mm-hmm. you'll be out of business doing things the right way. You will have no clients, right? It was well, that fair to say, Chuck. The the um, portability afforded them by their insurance to be able to up and go anywhere. Yeah, and, they will not. And to you will possibly not be in get business. And to possibly, if you don't get allow money, phones, you will not be in business right. in three so months. Oh my God, that's something I finally gotten good at is how to word and how to talk someone down from. You're not going to have your phone for 14 days. Because I, I I need them to land, right? So I the started idea- changing I started changing my thing too, because in the old days when the phone thing, like get this, when I went to Hazelden in nineteen eighty-eight, there there was no phone policy because there no one had cell phones. Right. Like maybe like the president of CBS Records I was there with had a cell phone in his car, one of those big rock Rockford file phones but <laughs> the there was motor no phones. bricks yep <laughs> there was no phones but then as phones the first it wasn't so much phones in the beginning in like 97 98 it was uh computers people wanted their laptops i remember that was a big thing and like well what do you need your computer for well, I needed to do my business. Well, mm-hmm. what business do you ha- have? You're you're on you're on leave of absence from work, right? 
Yeah, and, well, I got to keep up with my emails and I got to do this and I got to yeah, do, do that. Right. Yeah. And so we had to know computers. Then the phones started becoming more and more. And the thing was, Lost and Cena's finally gave in about 2004. We said, okay, you can have your phones during um, after dinner. So we had, we had programmed till four o'clock and then they had dinner at five. And then after dinner at five 30, they could have their phones until the AA meeting at seven 30 or eight. And so that was such a fucking hassle. You got 22 oh, yeah. inpatients, 40 outpatient, uh, 40 RTC beds, but like usually it was like maybe 25 RTCs, maybe 15 inpatients and you got to fucking hand them all out their phones you need like a army of texts just to hand out the phones right <laughs> you know yeah. you know it's funny right now we've got like those things for uh, closet organizers for shoes yeah and when people come in they got to put their phones in the in their separate <laughs> slots so they don't touch each other and the screens don't touch and it's, we got a couple of those and they, then they put them in the closet and then they pull them back out after after programming it's so crazy. Uh, it is, um, but it, it it works. But it is a pain in the butt. At least you don't have to hand stuff out. They know where their stuff is. So I guess I should pick up where I left off last podcast about the school. So yeah. cooler heads prevailed. I spoke to a bunch of people at the state. I spoke to Miss Reyes, the woman that I got in the conflict with. I apologized. I'm in AA, Chuck, still. I'm in Good AA. For you. So right. you did a, a, did a solid So 10, I made huh? amends. I called them back and I said, I'm so sorry. What do I need to do? They told me what I needed to do. Then we had to think about whether we wanted to do this. Because this is a fucking pain in the ass. Part of me, like for two nights, we went back and forth. Me and Chrissy, after the kids went to bed, we talked about whether we want to do this or not. It's a big responsibility. You know, It's like a two-year license. We're taking, you know, we're, we're going to say that we're going to be here for other families. You know, the way it was, like, we could close it next Friday and just say, fuck it, we're not doing it anymore. But when you commit to doing something, I don't usually puss out or whatever. So I really went back and forth. I didn't want to do it, get a license and be all official. And then we asked Sydney. I said, Sid, hey, what if we don't do the school anymore? And she went like this, Chuck. Oh, oh, uh, okay. Oh, Right. How's she going to write her book without the school? <laughs> Someone's got to walk her through all that. Come on, so, Bob. So we're doing, we're doing the preschool through the summer, and we're doing kindergarten and preschool in the fall. And it's gonna. It means, I'm, you know, part of me never do, goes anywhere and never does anything, but I hate responsibility that might prevent me from going somewhere and doing something. You ever, yeah. you ever see that, Chuck? You ever have that, Mike? Have Feel you got it. that? Yeah. Like, I don't want to commit to having to be here five days a week because I might want to go somewhere, but I never go anywhere. So, yeah, but have, you won't be able I to. Have that <laughs> <laughs> but you won't, and something's going to come up. <laughs> you know, the Something first, cool the might first come Monday, up and I have to say no. <laughs> Anthony's going to call you and say, hey, we're, we're all going to see Parliament Funkadelic. They're doing a one-off <laughs> show, but it's only on Monday morning at 11 o'clock. Oh, God, I can't go. I got to school. <laughs> I'm the traffic monitor now. I get out there and I, you know, it's amazing how timid people are. What happened to punk rock? What I'm going to send you an spirit? orange vest. I need an orange vest. So I have a sign. I just direct them, like, pull in here, pull in there. I got my hand signals. Everybody's pretty much. People love to follow direction, Chuck. You ever notice that? Oh, yeah. All you got to do is point. <laughs> and they'll uh, put their car I, that direction. <laughs> if they, if, all my life. I started driving when I was 14, by the way, because my alcoholic cousin used to let me drive his car while he drank vodka out of a, straight out of a bottle. <clears throat> yeah. So an LTD, by the way. It looked like the streets of San Francisco. So, nice. uh, so I've been driving since I'm 14. If anyone has ever in my entire 46 years of driving said, go this way, I always go, who fucking says, who fucking, uh, what? You- <laughs> no way. That's, a, that's one of my stadium. They're always telling you which way to go. I purposely go the other way just to fuck with them. <laughs> and I'm I put on my flashers. 
I'm a put on your flashers. You might get to go to the better parking. Because <laughs> yeah. I know that's one of the things they always say. Anytime I go anywhere, I put on my hazards because that way I might get to park somewhere better. But yeah, no, don't you do that? Don't you do that at stop signs where you, you point at one person and say go and tell the other person? I love being at a four-way stop. They, They're all yeah, over they, Huntington they Beach. Love... I tell I, I run that shit. What happened in <laughs> Huntington Beach, you guys? There was a riot down there. Yeah, it's it's the choice place for people no brains people to end up. And I, why do I they through- go there? Why is it such a magnet for the Inland Empire ignoramuses? Why is Huntington the place they go? Because there's a pier. That that hundred and something people they got arrested. There were like three or four that were from Huntington Beach. They I were know, from all they the, were as where? high as San Francisco, as low as San Diego. They were from the Inland Empire. They came from all over for that thing. And what was it? They were just, they were getting together to blow it, it off was, fireworks. It, I think it was called cops? Adrian's Kickback. Some guy on TikTok was celebrating a birthday and he invited <laughs> everybody down to the pier and they were going to just hang out. And it's then, so crazy. Yeah. And people, I, I heard people came from out of state. You know what it is too, is that Huntington Beach has been in the news so much in the last year, you know. So it's a magnet for it. Well, you got the greatest uh, uh, interim uh, mayor I've ever heard in Southern California (laughs) history. (laughs) Is he still? He hasn't been in the news for a week, so I'm not sure. I know. Well, no one's wearing masks anymore, so his main issue is over. How, how, How easily was he neutralized? You yeah. can't get in the news. He's got it's probably it's probably his only thought. Like I ain't gonna wear a mask. Okay, you're gonna be on CNN tonight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then and it worked and it worked for a year and four months. And now I, I got I got to come up with a new shtick. Uh, no, I'm, not, got, I'm not wearing pants. Pants are I'm dumb. I'm gonna wear pants. A mayor who refuses to wear pants. <laughs> I think that'd be great. I I would love to stop wearing pants. Oh, the but, founders of the founders of Huntington Beach must be so proud. Whoever they are, the Huntingtons. <laughs> the Huntington. No, that Whoever yeah, the oil company it's was. the Huntingtons from from Pasadena, I think. Yes, it is. Oh, it, it's all you making were joking, sense now. but it's you're, you were joking, but it was true. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Even they moved out. <laughs> So I got an interesting fact for you about uh, the uh, changing uh, political demographics in America. Are you ready? Okay. When a Republican sends his Republican child to college, they come back a Democrat. So, so you have to, not only are they not growing Republicans, they are actually shrinking Republicans. Do you huh. understand? Well, I would and think so, you would be raising a Democrat just because you'd be rebelling against your parents. So, but watch this. This is kind of my idiocracy, the movie, the masterpiece in, in real time. So the only people remaining Republicans are people that don't go to college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. You get it, right, Chuck? You see it. that's funny are you sure that this isn't just an old person and a young person type of thing though because i think a lot of people do turn republican after they get older and start getting more money and getting oh no no you turn you turn like me a conservative democrat which means you just be called a republican by 80 percent of the democrats right right yeah. But you watch old, I Joe was, Biden, old Joe Biden isn't as woke as you think he is. <laughs> Everybody thinks Joe Biden is some communist. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even yeah. know what's up with him. I haven't seen enough yet. Well, I mean, it's much. Here's the other thing. It's much ado about nothing. Like Trump came in. What's the only thing he accomplished? A tax break for the uber wealthy. Great. Great. That really helped out his base, didn't it? The base that makes $43,000 a year in West Virginia, in yeah, Tennessee, yeah. and in Alabama. He also passed like 70-something immigration laws, too. Yeah, but they just get, Mike, those things, those executive orders just get switched. They've probably all been switched now. Yeah. Executive orders don't mean anything. But he really did get that tax break legislation that's here to stay. It looks like Biden hasn't touched it. He talked about 
uh, increasing capital gains, but he doesn't seem to be too eager to do it. Because guess oh, what? Yeah, because guess where the money what? Is, baby. The donors are the same. So it's just interesting that that uh, I think we're hitting heading towards like really crazy Q, like beyond Trump land. And everybody's thinking, oh, it's so it, now a majority of people are just going to go along to get along like they always do, which is, OK, we're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and, and isn't that great? But, you know, because I always I don't look at the extremes. I look at the the craziest part of what's happened in the last uh, what is it, five years is actually there's a huge voter base that voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then voted for donald trump in 2016 then switched back and voted for joe biden in 2020 i mean that's that tells you a lot about who is the center of this country right is, um do you do you think that uh that was an anti-hillary thing for sure it was an anti-Bush. It was anti-Bush too at the same time, and nobody pays attention to it. Jeb Bush got about as much traction as a as a cat on ice. Yeah, about you know as much I mean? as we did. I think we got <laughs> as close to winning as he did. Right. <laughs> so he was out in the first round. Like Trump knocked him out in the first round, and then it was just we're tired of the American dynasties. Enough of the Bushes and Clintons. I think that's what 2016 was about. We want new ideas. We want new faces, even if they're crazy faces, even if they're if they're Looney Tunes. We don't want these like families that that dictate American policy. I mean, when you look at the Bushes and the Clintons, I mean, they've dictated politics in America for the last thirty years, pretty much. Yeah, either foreign policy or domestic policy or both. And I think people were tired of it. Like, give some new. And what's funny, though, Americans never want. They always want something new, but they don't want anybody young. <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, we want something new, but we prefer them to be over 70 years old. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, and I think I, it looks. This is why I lost faith in the political process that we have so long ago. Is it looks like the money is like playing red and black and spinning the wheel. And the only thing we're not going to get is something new. We're not going to get that single green space, right? Because they're playing both sides. Big money well, is behind. Green, green, there's money to be made in green and there's jobs in green. So there will be a green movement, I think. It's coming pretty soon. I mean, it happens in the free market. Tesla, Tesla and, and you know, these, just wait. The next 10 years are going to be exciting. Like your pizza is not going to be delivered by a guy. It's going to be delivered by a car that doesn't have anybody in it. I mean, think about that. I'm like, going to steal one of those. Yeah, it's a bummer. Who gets the tip? How do you, how do you be a musician? There's so many jobs that are going to go away because, <laughs> of, because of technology. What are up and coming struggling musicians going to do? I was a pizza delivery guy. I was a messenger. I was a dishwasher. Like all those jobs are going to go away, right? Well, dishwashers in restaurants. No, they got machines that can sanitize them in a second. Yeah, you might have somebody that has someone's got to scrape them in the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not like, not like how it was. Every restaurant's going to have. You know, two dish guys in the back just sweating away. Oh, no. Away I, all the food. I, when I was working in um, gas stations, when I was a kid, we had full service and we did oil changes. And we we had like three or four guys that manned the gas station at any given time. Now it's one guy in a box. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I mean, those jobs went away, too. That's what most of my friends did. We all worked at gas stations. So that I'm just I just think the future is interesting and I'm hopeful. And I think that 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 whole that was like the last gasp of of a dying kind of idea, right? And and you're gonna see it. Like everybody's, oh, we gotta we gotta rally around Trump because we gotta solidify the base. Like nobody really wants to represent that base. Nobody really does. I think these people in Washington really respect those people. Not at all. I don't think they care about anybody. And I don't think that I don't think the the uh, Democrats are too crazy about, you know, these radical defund the 
police idiocracy. Defund the police is crazy. <laughs> I wanted to defund the police when they came to my house. I can tell you that. When, when I don't recognize up, you. I'm a Moorish citizen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they came to shut my illegal preschool down, I was not happy about the police. But um, so, anyways, things are things are optimistic. But you know what's not optimistic is what's going on with drugs in America. I don't, I told somebody the other day, I don't think there's going to be sober like there was in my day. I don't really see a lot of. I think it's probably more like 10 years off. I, I see where you're going with that, but the idea of smoking weed and drinking and not doing fentanyl, I think we're going to have to see that fail before people come back around to acceptance of the whole thing. Cause if, if you're like me, it's going to fail. It's great to get them off the fentanyl. It's great to get them off eating pills. They don't know what it is. And the idea that I'm just going to smoke weed and drink a couple beers, that takes time for it to not work. And right now it looks like it's working for a lot of people. But if you're like me or you or Mike, it's not going to work. But how so, do we get how do we get optimism back? Because unless you get optimism or or dreaming or or kind of, you know, I had a friend. Mike knows him. I won't say his name. He was always coming up with another crazy scheme, right? And, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. And what he was high and he was doing this and he was doing that. And then he got sober and he was doing this and doing that. And then he hit on something and it like exploded. And he made like a couple million dollars in, a, in like a year off of an idea. Right. And, and, I don't th I don't see a lot of people like that anymore. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a real estate agent. I'm going to buy this country club out in Victorville and we're going to turn it into a nudist camp. And like, it's just all crazy ideas that this guy had. Right. And all of a sudden he hits on something and it was successful and, and he had a fan, he has family and I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't see, I don't see that spirit of anything is possible in in our society nowadays and i grew yeah. up in a anything is possible anything is possible it's possible to 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 start a band in hollywood that sounds pretty much like aerosmith pretty much exactly like aerosmith and be the biggest band in the world still 40 years later that's guns and roses by the way <laughs> 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 which yeah, I'm you know, going to, which I'm going to see in Boston. I think they're playing in Boston. But I mean, when I first saw them, I was like, "Ah, it sounds so much like Aerosmith." It reminds me of Aerosmith, right? This is before you. It was before they had some of their songs, and it's before you knew. Oh, it's when they were still playing Mamakin and it, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, they didn't have "Welcome to the Jungle." Mike, you were around, man. Did, Mike, I, thought, I I remember him covering Aerosmith song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aerosmith, and and so, but these four guys, five guys, they just believed in themselves so much, and they just manifested one of the greatest albums ever made and their debut album, and they're still playing it thirty five years later. Oh, appetite is appetite 30, is such a great. It's such what a great an amazing album. freshman effort, especially. They made one of the greatest albums ever made in their first album, and yep. they had no idea of what they were doing. Right. Oh, you, that's why you can't repeat something you didn't know. If it wasn't planned, and it was, it was the best accident ever. Then, because that but that record holds up now. It still does. You hear the intro of "Welcome to the Jungle." You're just like, "Fuck yeah!" You know what I played for Elvis today? Uh, I've been getting back into Rage Against the Machine, right? And uh, there's a song. Well, there's three songs. One called Testify. Have you ever, mm -hmm. you know that song? Yeah. And yeah, have yeah, you yeah. ever so, listened to Tom Morello's One Man Revolution on Sirius XM? Is it a podcast? It's a radio so, station that he does almost every single day, a ton of stuff. It's wow. his own radio station on XM. It's amazing. But the when I, when it, but listen, and killing in the name of it says the the ones that join forces are the are 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 also the ones who burn crosses. The ones who mm -hmm. join forces are the are also the ones that burn crosses. Right? Mm -hmm. Then it says. Then it has this mantra that's so great. You got to do what they told you. You got to do what they told you. 
You got to do yeah. what they told you, right? That's exactly what our society is now. Back then, it was like it was a cry against that because that was a new movement of control of the people and manipulation of the people. And he's expressing, like, you know, this part of the public is becoming kind of, you know, following of direction of Bush and fascism and whatever. And and then he says, fuck you, I won't do what you told me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me or whatever, right? Elvis <laughs> heard that and was scared. <laughs> we have, we have yeah, a society yeah. now where to say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It scares people that people would say that. Like you'll get in trouble for saying that. That's what the, is at the fundamental core of America. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Well, and, and if that's, you don't, if you don't do what you're told, your neighbors are going to tell on you and the yeah, authorities are going to get that's involved. That's what I'm telling you. Elvis had this, this panic, like whoever's singing that's going to get in trouble. <laughs> so we are living, we are living. He's in, got a good kid. We are living in that world that Roger Waters warned us against that Zach, Zach and rage against the machine tried to warn us against. We already are in it. This it's here. I, I believe that because just of Elvis's reaction to it, like you can't say that somebody will find out and then he'll get in trouble. No, fuck you. I won't do what you tell me that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Think about right. the first time you heard that you felt like we're united millions of us fuck you i won't do what you tell me and nowadays oh you better not say that you might get in trouble mm. that's that's that is the difference in well, the you last know 20 years we we've been victims of that even you know the idea of we're not going to say certain things because we're afraid there's going to be retaliation certain things you can't say certain names you can't mention certain things you can't talk about because there's going to be retaliation just it's like so that, crazy that that kid that posted the meme ended up losing his job over a meme he posted and a stranger gets involved. Not only was he I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there's real life consequences for comedy that's not understood is really that's that's scary. That's a scary world. Yeah, we're living in a strange, Especially scary world. Especially when you're a that. drug addict and it's hard for you to find a job to begin with and you get one and you start doing well and next thing you know, it's taken away because someone didn't like what you said. Right. And that's, and that's it. if it didn't happen to someone I knew and was working with, I, I would say, that's ridiculous. That shit doesn't happen. No, it happens. And, it and Elvis, here's the thing. Elvis, 10 years old, knows it does. Mm -hmm. And so his whole life is going to be tiptoeing and walking on eggshells trying to not get in trouble this is a horrible society we're creating it really is and so in the middle of all that it's no wonder that people just want to be on fentanyl it's no wonder no imagine like i'm always going to fight to the bitter end like i'm built to fight and to be contrary and to fight what i think is the righteous fight have been since i was 14 but if you're raised in this, in this emotionally violent, mean-spirited, unforgiving society, you're just going to be petrified. And I believe that's why we have so much anxiety in our society. I believe it's part of it. This anxiety that looms over America. Why is every kid, you know, you got eight-year-old kids, like, diagnosed with anxiety. <laughs> I know. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> we've we've at, got dogs that are on, have anxiety because their <laughs> their people are so anxious that their our dogs are emotionally crippled now. <laughs> this is this is not fair to the whole animal kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reminds me of my dog Martha, named after the Tom Waits song. I got a German <laughs> Shepherd named Martha when I signed my big record deal back in ninety or ninety one, and. I moved to this house in Mount Washington and it had a lot of squirrels in the trees and the dog just would go nuts. It would just sit at the bottom of, if I let it outside in the yard, it would just sit at the bottom of the tree and bark all day long at the tree. And so I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, thinking I was some successful musician. So then I told my manager, you know, my dog 
this is barking at this tree. And, and uh, he said, what do you want to do about it? And I said, I don't know. What do I do? And he said, let's get a, let's get a trainer over there. So, you know, and I'm a big shot. My manager arranges for a dog trainer to come over and I'm there at my house and the dog trainer's there. And, you know, please tell me it was Caesar. Are. Please tell me it was Caesar. <laughs> no, it wasn't Caesar. But you know how dog trainers are. It might have been. I don't remember. It was a guy. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know how dog trainers are. They're really training the dog owner, right? Yep. <laughs> They're training but, you how to, teach, but I how was, to talk I, to your I animal. Was a, <laughs> I was a pretty good dog. I had this dog living in a, you know, in a two-bedroom house in, in Barham. So, like, I'm a good dog owner. I know how to care for a dog or whatever. And so there wasn't a lot of fault on my part. But he sat outside and I looked at him out the window with this dog sitting at the bottom of a tree, barking just insanely up at the tree. And there was no squirrels in it. He just would bark at it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had huh. seen a squirrel there one time. So he's, he's the like guy a Don Quixote the, dog. The, the, guy, <laughs> the guy comes, he does two sessions. Third time he comes in, he goes, you know, I have a friend who is a, he's, he's like a, a dog behavioralist. I said, oh my God, tell me more because I'm a very important <laughs> rock star. Yeah. And, uh, I, my dog probably does need a dog behavioralist, not only a trainer, but a dog behavioralist. Right. So, so the guy comes over, I forget how much it was, but I know that the guy was saying, well, it's kind of costly. And I was like, oh, no problem. I'm, can't you see? I'm a rig- rich rock star. <laughs> the bring money the just started coming in. Bring the, bring the behaviorist to me. So the guy <laughs> comes. I bet you this is 1990. I bet you it was like probably 300 bucks or something. So the guy comes and he sits out there much like the trainer. And I can look out my front window and see them out by the tree with this dog, the trainer and the behaviorist. The behaviorist comes inside and, and he says, Okay, I have a, uh, I, I pretty much got a makeup on, uh, of what's wrong with the dog and what you can do. And um, he said, but it's going to take me a while. I'll, I can come back. So I'm going to come back for a follow-up visit, Chuck, which would be another, what, $175? So oh, like we're probably. at 470, 475 in 1990. That's like $3,000 now. <laughs> so the guy comes back. He's got this full report. Like just from spending like 40 minutes with the dog. Did, did, and he, he, did re- he do a biopsych social on your dog? <laughs> a biopsych social <laughs> on the dog. And he determined that the dog needed to be medicated. Oh, now, I, how I could have told you that. How this guy, <laughs> how this guy <laughs> who didn't have a license in anything could recommend and he now watch this how how it works off of the off of the dumb musician guy so now they have a third guy a veterinarian who works with the behavioralist that i'm going to take my dog to and he's going to write prescriptions for the dog so the dog was put on valium and it just sat at the bottom of the t- of the tree and did not bark <laughs> of course it did but it would just but it would just look up it would look up so happy chuck it was so happy when it would look up. And Martha talk. would just look up and like, I used to bark up there. Now I just sit here and look up. Did, did, did Martha develop a tolerance and need a higher dose? Because it sounds like what we try to do with our kids. You know what I mean? That's what people have been doing with kids. My kid's barking. Uh, we'll medicate them. Then they need more need medication. Then they need more. Well, the problem yeah, is all these medications. Yeah, and we need, we need something to counter the medication. Yeah. I know right. some uh, so they can poop. So I, I just remember it just <laughs> sitting there and it was so calm on the after the barking went away. And it would just sit at the base of the tree and it would look up and have its tongue out, like <laughs> just loving <laughs> looking up at the tree. <laughs> Your dog so the reason I tell this is because I used to tell a lot more. I believe that's what we're doing with drug addicts. We're just Absolutely. giving them medicine so they'll just sit there and look at the tree. Wow. <laughs> That's true. Sad and funny, wow. but it's right on point. It really I, is. And so what's good for the dogs is good for the drug addicts. Is what hey, it worked in the animal world. Let's we, we've done the animal testing. It brought <laughs> peace to my neighborhood in Mount Washington. Maybe it shall be bring peace to some of the families of these addicts. Isn't that, isn't that what we see when we see, you know, like the, the kids that are shaky, we get so many people in that are so over medicated and that are so scared when we say, 
we're going to try taking you off this, off this, off this, and off this, or lowering your doses. And they get so scared. What they do they believe- do, Chuck, when you do that? They bark at the squirrels in the tree again. <laughs> well, and they, it, or they, or they threaten to leave. And it's just like, well, you know, it, it's so sad because they're so obviously medicated. So it, that's a constant you- struggle, but it, it's one we're willing it is, to take it's on. It's really similar, right? It's the dog is causing disruption. So you can't get the dog to stop barking at the squirrels in the tree or the tree that used to have squirrels in it. So medicate, same thing as what we're doing with addicts, I'm telling you. So medicate yeah. them so they won't worry us all or upset us all or, you know, that, that's, that's the model. So do you want to know what happened to Martha? So uh, yes. I don't know if you're familiar with my history, Chuck, but I had a big fall from grace there. I had a big fall. Huh. Things didn't work out in my solo career. I soon didn't have the kind of money that could have behavioralists and veterinarian psychiatrists and uh, dog trainers. And I moved out of that house in the middle of the night, taking only my precious belongings that I could haul in my car. And I moved to, to, uh, to Silver Lake into a little one bedroom apartment right around the corner from Mike Mart. And I became economically dependent on Mike Mart for crack. It was, it was a low point of my life at that point. Remember that Mike, you lived on that place that had the big lawn in the front. I lived down below with the, with the common folk. And I would go over to Mike's and say, Hey, have you got a hit? And he'd be sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I got a hit. Sure. You're a good friend, Mike. Mike, was there ever a time when you didn't have a hit? <laughs> Not in those days. <laughs> I would stock up in the middle of the night. You know, I thought for a second, I was thinking Martha was going to be the one that uh, ate the foil. No, that was Bella. That, that, was, that was Bella. I was sober at that time. That was a German Shepherd, too. This was a German Shepherd. So, so then things got worse from there, Chuck. They didn't get better. They didn't get better at Silver Lake for me. So then I got evicted out of the one-bedroom apartment. I got the dog, wait, got me. Wait. You're saying even though you introduced crack to your life, things didn't get better? They did not get better. Free wow. crack, by the way. How about free crack from Mike Mart? Wow. I can't. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like how a good solution. Anybody, I've been thinking about it. Lately. How can anybody fuck up free crack? That I can do that. Not many can, Mike. But But... You know, I did it. So I ended up getting evicted of that place. And shortly before the fall where the sheriffs are going to come, I traded, gave Martha to my drug dealing pal that was Frenchie's roommate. He was a good dog owner guy. His parents had a ranch up in Santa Barbara. And Martha went on to live a a very happy life in Santa Barbara, Uh, uh, by the way benzo free i believe maybe barking at squirrels <laughs> in trees i never got the details <laughs> you know those squirrels laugh after one day after one day of the barking the squirrels like fuck it i'm out of here this dog <laughs> never shuts up <laughs> and that poor dog it got rid of the squirrels <laughs> so you're able to say, so what you're saying is martha was not even cali sober martha went for the complete abstinence yeah, Ojai, I forget, Ojai, Santa Barbara type good rural, for, good beautiful for life, lived a long old life, while I slowly deteriorated. So the two paths, the, the neurotic dog kind of ends up with a good happy ending. The rock star owner kind of has a really tremendous fall from grace, of which he almost does not survive, Chuck. Man, almost I've heard does this story. not survive. Yeah. But well, it now, was, you know, it was before cell phones, how how could you? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because so Mike lived around the corner. You went you went down Vendome up this. What's the double rampy street on the backside of Silver Lake? I forget. And then so Mike only lived like two big two hills from my house. So I could just go out my front door, drive down to the first stop sign, go up park in Mike's house in like. Two minutes. It was great. How did you have drugs so much, Mike? You had you had you didn't really have a job. You weren't really playing music. What? Melissa. I was married to Melissa. No, up on the grass area on the top of Silver Lake, on the south of the south of Sunset. 
What that? Oh, that that was um that was uh, when I lived with Susie. Oh, so, so Mike, do you get the insight there? <laughs> yes, How I do. I think there there could be a pattern there. What do you call a musician? Sure. a musician without a girl? There was a pattern there. Yeah. No, this was yep. this was rolling. This is yeah, 93, 94, probably. 90, yeah. So, anyways, that is the story of Martha the dog that has a eerily uh reminiscent of modern day drug addiction and how we treat drug addicts and so terrible yeah it really is and so Mm -hmm. but but martha was in no no danger of dying right so i'll even advocate more for putting them on medicine so they don't die that's because martha couldn't get her own doses (laughs) you didn't give her a whole bottle we know how dogs do with food (laughs) martha would have been a statistic Oh my God! One's good, yeah, two's better. Just, what if he just gave her the pills and said, "Martha, take them as needed." Yep. <laughs> she wouldn't have made it. She might not have made it to Ojai. <laughs> she might not. She should have been laying down at the foot of the tree, looking up, smiling and cold. And you would have been, "Oh, I didn't see this you know coming." What, you know what? It never dawned on me because I would get really tweaked out and all coked out and whatever. It never dawned on me like I could take one of Martha's pills. I never did that. Then, way later in life, way later in life, that was probably ninety-one. Way later in life. I'm a counselor in the evening outpatient program, Pasadena, and I have a vet um, that's there, right? He, he does it, you know, when you run an outpatient, you don't really pay that much attention to people. You get their general story and whatever, and they're just going to be there for five weeks or something, three nights a week. So you don't really get too deep, but this guy had to be there because he was in a uh, diversion program. And I was okay. like, how the hell? Did you? Because I was assuming he was like a nice, you know, kind of middle-aged veterinarian guy, and so I just assumed he was alcohol. Because I tell you, at Los Encinas, probably 60, 50 percent of our clients were just straight alcohol, right? So I just assumed this guy is a veterinarian. He's a man of means. He's whatever. He's an alcoholic, and so I didn't pay attention for like three weeks. And I said, "Oh, you're going to be here longer. You're in diversion. I got some thing, some paperwork." And he said, yeah, I have to be here for six months. And I go, six months? What's your drug of choice? And he said, opiates. And I said, oh, my God. And so then we were talking. He's a brother. One. Talk to me. I He's thought a you brother. Were <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I thought you were some dumb alcoholic guy. So, so, so much to talk about now. I, know, now. I like you So all he's of a the one. I said, I said, he told me, like, he's taking 20 Vicodin a day. And I was like how do you get them? And he goes, I have them at my office. And I said, so can veterinarians write real people drugs too? And he's like, that's when I yeah. step in and show them how to shoot up. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's ridiculous. You're taking all that thing. Here's a better way to do it. You shoot up. But here's this, get this though. So I'm sitting there. This is in 1998 in the outpatient office of Las Asinas hospital. For some of the people that listen, they were clients there. They know the built the little office in the back of the of the group room. I'm sitting there, and it, he says, "No, all drugs are the same, Bob." In that moment, I realized how dumb I was that I didn't take those Valium of Martha's. Mm-hmm. In that moment, that's what I thought. Like fuck, I had bottles of that shit. It never mm-hmm. dawned on me that it's never, the same Valium. Just to try it. No, like I was, I was scared because you hear about horse tranquilizer. I didn't want anything that. You know what I mean? But it was so crazy. Like I, I, there was so many nights I was so tweaked out, and I just sit on my couch looking at the roof, going, "Oh my god, how am I going to make it through the next four hours? I'm so tweaked out." And I could have gone into the kitchen and taken like four of those Valium of the dogs. My life would have been so much better. You and know, I they, realized that when a vet told me that all all medicines are the same. Yeah. No. You know, they, they have, but what they have that they don't have sitting in your doctor's office is liquid ketamine Valium that is ready to be injected. And I, I would pull some of that out of a little bottle and put some in a drink. And uh, because Where, there's only did those. Did you work those, at a vet? Yeah, did you work I did. At a vet? I worked oh at several. Oh, my God. Um, because all they have are those big five cc freaking 
Uh, yeah, needles. <laughs> needles that are like, they're bigger than freaking like basketball needles. And it's just like, so there wasn't anything to do with that, but I could, I could throw that into a drink and get nice and calm and cool and collected. But, but they also injected animals with vodka when they were having seizures. So there were a lot of things that went on at the veterinary hospital. I didn't last very long there. Why would they do that? <laughs> Why would they inject them with vodka? Calms uh, them down. Yeah. When we'd have seizure dogs and when there'd be risk of seizures after some surgeries and stuff, it's like a, it, it was, I, I worked for a guy who was an old school oh, of doctor. You can't who get him like, to drink it. Yeah. So you just, I only injected yeah. alcohol one time. I was with the animal boner and earthquake, Mike, um, yeah. you know, two of the great kind of legends of LA punk rock, a guy named animal boner. Chuck. Yeah. Was, I, animal, I like was the name. His, animal was his first name. I believe um, animal boner, me and earthquake also known as earache. Also on the very on the cover of the first mentors album, he's the bass player with the hood on. So he's like six foot eight, three hundred pounds, has keep on sucking tattooed on his stomach, by the way, Chuck. That's so a, I'm I'm hanging out. out with my bros. Had we're in I an abandoned house on we're in a uh yeah, I think Quake died. But we were in an abandoned house on Franklin, I'll never forget it, just east of Western. And we're shooting speed, and then we didn't have anything left. Or we shot some heroin. It didn't overset the, shut, ever overcome the speed. And so um, I think it was either Animal or, or uh, Eric. Eric was his real name. He, um, they started shooting a little like, you know, you know, 60 cc's of whiskey. And, and, they, and they were shooting it. I remember the blood popping up and then the thing. And I said, oh, let me do that. And I got my syringe and I you know, took a little out of the whiskey bottle. And I shot it and I projectile vom- As it was hitting my throat, I just projectile vomited nice. straight out, mm-hmm. like three feet straight. It was crazy. And then they were mad at me, like, clean this fucking up. Clean it up. And when two crazy punk rock methed out guys tell you to do something, Chuck, and you're the little guy in the room, you do what you're told. You yeah. got to do what they tell you. You got to do what they tell you. And coming back to got to do what they tell you. Clean that shit up. And, it was, and a part of me was like, it's an abandoned house. Can't we go to another room? <laughs> it was so funny. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, but it never dawned on me. So I just think we got to get some hope, some inspiration. I don't know how we get it. I'm hoping somebody comes along that inspires. And here's the thing. It could be in music. It could be in, in like comedy and movies. It, it could be a politician. It could be, it could be somebody that just has that radiance that Robert Kennedy kind of quality that we well, need I know somebody. who it is America I know needs it is. somebody it's, so it's, it's my Can kid it's my, it's my kid my kid Tristan I've been getting texts from him all day that his his almost mother-in-law painted him with some gray paint and then pulled it off him and it caused him a lot of pain and they put it up on TikTok and she she keeps sending me texts. Oh my God, twenty five thousand views. Oh my God, a million views. Oh my, <laughs> oh my God. And I'll send you the link, dude. It's ridiculous. Send me the link. I got. But see it's it. just like I I, I I got a text while we were doing this. Maybe they hit two million views. I don't know where. I don't have TikTok, oh my God. so I, I it only shows a portion of it, and I can't read the comments. And I'm not about to sign up for TikTok. But maybe Tristan and his having paint, sticky paint pulled off him. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll save blow the world. Our minds. We'll save the world. Yeah. Do you, why not? Do you see what I'm saying though? Like we need oh, yeah. a Bob Dylan right now. We need a John Lennon right now. We need a Bobby Kennedy right now. But see, they we were need, positive. Right. They were positive, right? Positive isn't selling. Uh, I, it, <laughs> that's, you know, if positivity on, Chuck, could trend, I'm to be positive. <laughs> I know, but if positive positivity has to be cool again, and the only way that's going to happen is when people are so fucking sick of negativity that positivity becomes the opposite of what's popular, and it'll be the counterculture will grab the the positivity and run with it. And I'm hoping that's about now because I'm so, sick but of the negativity. Then, but until then, you got to do what they tell you. <laughs> <laughs> 
You got to yeah. do what they told you. You got to do what they talk, told you. And tickety talk and BTS and, and blippity blop and don't die. Hopefully, if there's one person listening to this podcast, I want <laughs> I want to speak to you. There's one person. There's one person today that's thinking about doing some fentanyl. There's one person's like, well, you know, I'm gonna do some fentanyl later on. Just do heroin. That's my message to you. Well, just I, do I, heroin. Know, I know noodles don't do fentanyl because he calls me with critiques. So, or just talks about what's happening. So I know noodles still listens. So noodles don't do fentanyl. Don't do fentanyl. If you're going to do anything, do some heroin or do there some doggy, doggy value. Doggy you know, value. be careful and don't die.